We're continuing in our sermon series on the Psalms, and we're going to follow up with another hymn. Now, you might expect that if you're going to preach from the Psalms, it's going to be a hymn. And if you're making an educated guess, I can see why you guessed that. We make educated guesses all the time. I could have told you what was going to happen when I volunteered to take some of the boys to get a drink of water at the Pump It Up event this past Thursday night. Before I could get to the door and walk them to the fountain, what had happened? What would you guess? Yeah, they took off running. I don't run anywhere anymore. So they were already gone around the corner. I'm a terrible chaperone. By the time I eventually made it down to the water fountain, what are the four things that I heard? What can you guess? What would the boys, young boys say at a water fountain? That would have been a good one. I love the first one. Get your mouth off of the water fountain. So somebody, yeah. I like that one. One of my other favorites, I'm going to tell mom. I'm not going to tell you which brothers that was, but I thought that was awesome. Uh, one of them was complaining about water up the nose and nobody would help him. But, but my favorite was an earth-shattering, really in the junior age division, world record-holding burp that I heard right in front of the preacher. But as an educated guest, I would have guessed I would have heard all those things from young boys at a water fountain. This is a hymn. Educated guests might say, well, of course, it's a psalm. Only a fifth of the psalms are. As we said last week, about half, Eugene Peterson says, is as, as high as 60 to 70% are actually laments. Yes, to be sung, but these are prayers of hurt many times. Prayers of where are you, God? Prayers of why are you not acting? But this is a hymn. This is a, a song of praise and, and a declaration of praise to God. And so we're going to look at this hymn one more time because, again, these psalms, I think it's up to, yeah, about 130 to 150 times we find these psalms in the New Testament. There are 130 to 150 uh, times that the psalms are cited by New Testament authors. These are words of life to the people of God. They certainly were for Jesus. Not only does he live out these scriptures, we'll see him live out this scripture in just a minute. Not only do we see Jesus live out the scriptures of the Psalms, not only do we see him prophetically fulfill so many of the Psalms, but these are the words that are on his lips at his moment of suffering. Definitely two, actually it's probably three of the seven sayings of Christ on the cross are from the Psalms. They're not just the hymn book of the people of God. These are words of life. The Word of God is life. I had uh, uh, been reading N.T. Wright's book on the Psalms recently, and he talked about uh, a Jewish man trying to emigrate from Russia to Israel, and he got caught back in the days of the Cold War. And once he was caught, he was put into a gulag for 13 years. They eventually let him have one book, and the book that he asked for was the Psalms. And he read it every morning, and he read it every evening. And here's what this man said. Gradually, my feelings of great loss and sorrow changed to one of bright hopes. The guards, to tease him and to hurt him, would take it from him from time to time. And they said that he would just lie in the snow until they'd give it back. I need this word. This word is my life. And that's, that's the truth of the word of God. It brings life. I've shared this with you one other time before, but I was reminded of, a, of it again this week that the Center for Bible Engagement says, if you read your Bible once a week, there's no change in your life. 
is they've surveyed, I think, 40,000 Christians once a week. If I hear it read to me or I read it once a week, no change. Read it twice, hear it twice, no change. Three times a week, really no change. But when the majority of my week is centered on what God has revealed to us in his word about himself and also his plans and purposes for my life. Day four, everything skyrockets. It skyrockets in terms of the impact of our life keeping us from sin. Uh, The people who did this and surveyed Christians said that the use of pornography drops 61% when people are in the word at least four times a week. Adultery, 68% lower. Drunkenness, 57% lower, but also feelings of loneliness, feelings of anger drop 30%, bitterness drops 42% when you and I are routinely in the Word of God. When, when, and we've all been there. We've all had a dry season, whether it's all, all our fault or just life. We've had a dry season with the Lord, but when we're in the Word regularly, 60% of people who said, I felt spiritually stagnant. I just felt stuck. But I got routinely in the word, and that's gone now. There's an intimacy I have with God, a vibrancy I have with God. The chance that you will actually share your faith with with others, if you read the word four times a week, goes up by 200%. The, 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 The practice of mentoring somebody, discipling somebody, that goes up 200%. The, 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 the memorization of Scripture, the chance for that to happen goes up 400%. When you and I routinely find ourselves in the Word, when we read the Word routinely, it changes our life's routine. Its words become our routine. So what's here? What's in this word? Well, first of all, if you look at the very beginning of your hymn, it probably tells you who wrote it. And authorship matters. It helps us. When we read the book of Luke to do some study on Luke, we read the book of Jude to, to understand who Jude is. Who writes this psalm? Listen, it's important to have that kind of background because I, I grew up in the 80s, right? One of the big songs of the 80s was Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. If anybody remembers that pop song. Did you know a guy wrote that? I didn't know that. It's ruined the song because now I know a guy is telling Cindy what to sing about what girls want just to have fun. Who are these sons of Korah? What, what does their story tell us? I know about Moses who writes a psalm. I know about David who writes so many of the psalms. But who are these children of Korah? Do you remember number 16? I'll let you go back there and read it because it's a... It's a It's a pretty incredible judgment of God on Korah and others who have rebelled against Moses and really rebelled against God. But if you go back through that passage, you'll see that Korah's sons, his children, escaped the horror of that judgment. Now, what do you do if you're the sons of Korah with that? What do you do? Family has failed God. Do I let my past or my family, our reputation, keep me from God? Or do I let, Ben talked about bitterness this morning. What, what, is, is, am I, what did you do to my family, God? They messed up, but everybody messes up. Why did you judge them like that? Am I going to be paralyzed by my pain or my bitterness? 
Most scholars believe that the sons of Korah were involved in the liturgical activities of the temple, the everyday stuff. They had a past, and they certainly had pain, but God had spared them, and they are found here and elsewhere. This isn't their only psalm. They're found to be faithful. They don't let their past or their pain paralyze them in their walk with God. Last week, we looked at David's life, that that lament in Psalm 51, where he confesses his egregious sin. Uh, against Bathsheba's husband and again, and again against Bathsheba and really against God. And I love, I love the reminder from Jill Briscoe this week. Uh, many of you have listened to her at our Women's If uh, gatherings. And, and somebody had shared with me uh, after hearing Psalm 51 last week what she said in a recent YouTube message that you watch David's life. I hinted at it last week, but Jill says it better. You watch David's life after Psalm 51. He just doesn't go back. You never hear of these kinds of sin in his life again. When you and I blow it, when you and I do something we know is against God's will, we can just sometimes resign ourselves to that's who I am. That's how people know me. That's what people expect of me. That's what people assume my family's, this is how we live and this is how we mess up. And I'm just going to stay there. Jill Briscoe says, David didn't go back. He had the forgiving grace of God, and he didn't go back. He didn't let his humiliation or the stain of sin crush his hopes of ministry and life with God. And these children here are not going to let their family sin or their pain keep them from praising God who has spared them. Our past and our pain can certainly tempt us to go back, But biblically, they have no place or power in God's redemptive story. My Sunday school teacher here told us recently in our class about a father who went to Billy Graham. I don't know if any of y'all went to Newell Field to hear Billy Graham preach. It's a long time ago, so you may not want to raise your hand. Uh, Forever ago. Uh, But that he told the story of a father who went to that uh, crusade, that revival, That father's family had everything that you can think of that you would name. There was all kinds of adultery within his family. Mom just just littered with that. But he he said it wasn't just that. It was this and this and this. And the father said at that moment, at that revival, this is where it ends. This is where it ends, right here. And it ended right there. And the sons of that man can testify, that's where it ended. I don't have to be who they were. I I don't, by the grace of God and the power of God, I don't have to be who I used to be. I don't have to let the pain of of, of hurts with God or maybe disappointments with God keep me back here. But I can move on as these children do to give praise to God. You see it here, this testimony, how lovely it is. And then you hear what they say in Psalm 42, these sons of Korah, when they say, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after you. Or you hear them sing in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's their testimony. They don't have to be their past. They don't have to let their previous pain keep them from God. How is it you and I? need to hear their testimony this morning. How do you need to respond to that?
of what God can do and bring you through. Now let's, let's look at what they said. And we've kind of done that in one other hymn, so I'll be brief here this morning on this. But let's look at what, what is it they say. If you've got your Bibles open, what do they say about who God is? They speak to his character and his person. Verse 8 and verse 9, they say, Would you hear us? Would you give attention to us? Isn't, isn't it nice to actually have somebody look up from their phone when you're talking to them? I mean, it's a gift, right? And look, you, if you have children or grandchildren, you're like, I'm paying for that thing. Put it down and give me some eyeball action right here. People don't even give us right attention. And they say of the God of the universe, hey, I, I know you're a God who hears. I know you're a God who will look on us. He's not like the other gods who could give, just could care less about the people unless they bring them something or do some kind of magical rite or, or sacrifice someone. This God is looking. This God is listening. It speaks to his, his, his character and to his, his heart. Verse 11, he's a God who does not withhold good. That could be a whole sermon on that because that's basically what's going on in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve are tempted, yes, but part of the temptation, we'll get into parts of it later, but it, are you holding out on us? Because I've got this tempter over here saying there's much more, that we could have more. Are you holding out on us? Verse 11 says, God does not withhold good. Now, verse 11 also amplifies and reminds us how blessed it is when we trust in him to not withhold good. That's our, that's our response is we've just got to trust that he's going to do it. But do you trust his heart? They do. I may have shared this story before, but I'd come across it recently of a, of a Christian author writing about a time where he had had some kind of major accomplishment in sixth grade. And so his dad took him to the, I'm going to date myself, a Kmart. Remember Kmart? Took him to the Kmart and said, son, I'm so proud of you for what you've done, the work you've put in. You name it. Pick whatever you want in the Kmart. One thing, you pick it, it's yours. And so this sixth grade kid, because again, music's so important, races to the music section, and there was this little cassette deck uh, if you're under 40, I'll explain it to you later. But uh, it's kind of like a CD. No, you wouldn't get that either. Uh, MP3, I don't know. But anyway, you put these tapes in there, push it down, it would play music. I think it was 50 bucks, which was expensive for back in that day. 50 bucks for this cassette player. Years later, he was talking to his dad about that moment. And what he found out was, his dad had $1,000 cash in his pocket. And on top of that, he had brought his checkbook if that 1000 was not enough. He doesn't withhold good. Are we banking on the goodness of God? Are we, are, are we really trusting that he wants to give us his very best? The gift of salvation, yes, he wants to gift that, but so much more. And, and all, all that kid could see was this little, I guess this would be it. This is as far as you'll go. Maybe you'll just give me this little cassette deck. Anything in the store. And I'm, re I'm ready to provide it. 
the sons of Korah remind us God does not withhold gifts and goodness to us. Now, listen, you go back to verse 11. There's a check there. It doesn't force God's hand. I want to be careful on that. The other gods of that day, and so many of these songs, I wish we had time on Psalm 121 or else, they're really kind of arguments about the other gods. But, but the other gods, you could force their hand. You do some perverted thing, you, you do your little magic, and they'd have to act. They don't want to, but they have to. Nothing we can do can force God's to, God to act. But you look at verse 11, the other gods could care less about your life and how you live. But I, I love this reminder, and it's a tough one, that God will not be fooled or mocked. The right prerequisite to open ourselves for the goodness of God in our life is a blameless life, a righteous life, to, to seek his will and to seek his life. Um, that, that's the way you and I put ourselves in position to receive of his goodness. We can't miss that reminder here, but don't, don't miss his character as hard. He wants to be good. Not only does it say something about his character, but, but going down to these other verses, we don't have time this morning because we've already covered it a few weeks ago. It says something of his power. He's a shield to protect. He has the power uh, to bestow good. There's so much here that he not only wants to do, but he has the power to do, but it's his third thing, and this is how we'll close this morning. It's this reminder, too, of not just goodness he wants to give to us, his power he wants to give to us, but what we really see throughout it, and Renee's already covered it this morning for us, he wants us to know his presence. What the sons of Korah are celebrating for us is, yes, the very presence of God. Now listen, they're going up to formal worship to, to Jerusalem. They're in the temple. Uh, there, there is the, the glory of God in the temple or in the, you know, back in Moses' time, the synagogue. This reminder of God, reminder for us that God wants to be with us, to meet us. And the psalmists say, it's lovely. My soul yearns and even faints. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere just to be in your presence. I highly recommend Tim Keller's book to you on prayer. I was listening to a podcast this week with Tim Keller, and he talked about He's got all these reminders about how to pray and what prayer is. But in that podcast, he was talking about something else. But prayer came up, and he says, listen, you're right. Prayer is where we, as we said last week, lament. Prayer is where we ask God for things, where we celebrate who God is and offer our praises. But so much of it, and we miss this if we don't spend time. It's just about being in the presence of God. I just want to be with him, and he wants to be with me. And you and I, in our busyness and in our racing, are, are quick to pray for others, quick to confess sin and ask for forgiveness, but, but prayer should not always be quick because God wants us to enjoy him and he wants to enjoy us. The sons of Korah say, just let me be a doorkeeper. Just let me do my little liturgical duty so I can be in the house of God where the presence of God is. Now, you and I hold on to the truth and know that the veil that split uh, the, the, the inner part, the Holy of Holies, has been ripped from top to bottom at Christ's death, that you and I can have full presence of, of, of a relationship with God at all places. 
And again, that speaks to those other gods because Corey's on the, the mountain of Lake Junaluska last week. But that, that must be another god if you're talking to the gods of this day because they're regional. There's a god at the mountain of Lake Jay, but, there, but there's a different god at Madison. And the sons of Korah would say, oh, he, he can be everywhere. The scripture says he's everywhere and he wants us to know the fullness of his presence. And they say, just let me be a doorkeeper so I can be there. How lovely. How lovely is your uh, dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Now listen, I love this room. I absolutely love this room. And I love what the Lord's done in this room. And listen, we get phone calls. I had, I had seen a cartoon recently of a, a voicemail that a church gives out because they also have a lovely room like that. When you call the church, oh, so-and-so church, we're so glad that you've called. If you need to talk to a pastor, press one. If you need prayer, press two. And if you just drove by and saw our church, how beautiful it is, and you're going to get married here and make us do it, press three. I mean, that's, you know, we get that call. People want to be in this room. People want to be in the chapel. There's something sacred about this space. It is a lovely space. What's lovely is what God does in this, in this space. What he does at baptism and communion and how he meets us at this altar where at our prayers on our pews at our prayers, how he inhabits the praises of his people when we sing or we hear this wonderful music. How lovely is your dwelling place. You just see that in Jesus' life. Watch his life. It's that kind of, I just want to be with you. Yes, he serves. Yes, he's all about people. But as soon as he served, as soon as he's been with people, what do we find him doing? And then he retreated to a lonely place. I just want to be with you. Read the book of John. He just won't stop talking to his father. I just want to be with you. It's like Philip Yancey in his book, the, the Bible Jesus Read. You read that chapter on his Psalms. Philip Yancey says, The book of Psalms reveals what a heartfelt, soul-starved, single-minded relationship with God looks like. And that's what you see in the life of Jesus. At age 12, I'm in, I'm in the temple. You find me always at the synagogue and going back to Jerusalem. You find me at my prayers. You find me in the Word. The sons of Korah say, my soul longed for and yearned for the courts of the Lord. Not only is it lovely, but this last reminder, it's better. There are many good things. But the presence of God, we can't miss out on. Dwelling with God, being with God, we can't miss. Verse 10, it is better. In Genesis 3, going back to that chapter again, it looked good to, for food. It, it looked good to the eyes, and it looked like it would make one wise. Whatever that fruit was, it looked good, but it was not better. And that's the lie that the tempter will say. That's what this world will say. Our own flesh will argue with us. Oh, that's better. Grab it. And the sons of Korah say, God is better. His, his presence is better. I go back to N.T. Wright in his book about the Psalms, and he talks about his dad. Now, his dad was a war hero. He spent uh, five years as a prisoner of war during World War II in Germany. But at some point, when they looked through his notes after his death, they found out that he was called to be a part 
of not just the territorial army, but to be an incredible, I mean, to have this incredible position of leadership in the army. And he turned it down. Now, this is a man who loved his country. This is a man who was a prisoner of war for five years. He, he wanted to serve. But in his notes, he reminded, he reminded his family in his, in his journal, he had just been asked to be a church warden. And I had to look that up. Handing out bulletins. Ring a bell. Remember when used to ring the bell, some of us, to come to church? Ring a bell. That's it. You could serve your country in this credible leadership position. And N.T. Wright's dad, who was a war hero, said, just let me be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I just want to be near him. I just want to serve him. It's better. It's better. How are you and I carving out that time, making a commitment because his presence is lovely? Yes, it's, it's, he wants to meet with us, but also it is better. Just let me be a doorman. How is it? You and I need to say that to the Lord today. This is a song that we used to sing a hundred years ago when I was a director of student ministries in several churches, but it's, it's the Sons of Korah song to us today to draw us into the presence of God and to celebrate his, his goodness, his power, his character, but also what he des desires for us and with us. So may this be our song of response. It's in your bulletin. Let's stand as we sing together.
Amen. I do want to remind you that if uh, you're interested, we'd love to have you as a part of our combined adult Sunday school class today. It's in the second floor of our new education building. Just go all the way to the back. There's coffee in the fellowship hall. Grab a, let's have a time of fellowship and then make our way for those who will. It'll be a four-week series on the names of God, so we encourage you to be a part of that. Now would you hear the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us now and always. And all of God's people said. Amen.